Managers are appointed. It came from authority. Authority said this happened. Leaders are are about influence and, and leadership has nothing to do with management. You, you can be a great leader and not have direct reports, for example. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, joined by a professor of economics, Kyle Anderson. And for all those who are joining us uh, for the first time, we just want to let you know our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. And we just want to hear from you. So if you have a question, if we can help you in any way, uh, whether that be a business decision you're wrestling with, if you would like some expertise from some of our faculty, or you just simply know someone who would make a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at IUPUI.edu. So how many of us have ever walked into the mall, myself included, and walk past that one store that always has those massage chairs just waiting for you to sit down and try as you walk in and to kind of, then you get drawn into all these other alluring little toys and gadgets that seem so cool and kind of futuristic, but yet really practical. Um, and that's what are going to be our topic is, is, is this uniqueness in finding your uniqueness as a leader. And we're joined by Lance Reese, CEO of Sharper Image. Lance, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate it. So talk us to uh, about Sharper Image. I mean, it's such a unique, it's a unique store full of so many fun novelties, yet practical application uh, devices. And talk about how um, you as an organization have been able to hone in on this unique niche of product. It, it's always been that way. We were founded in 1977, and, and since then, it's always been that iconic brand you just talked about where people are, they, they walk into the store, they really enjoy it. There aren't any stores left. They're all gone now, unfortunately, but, uh, but the experience is still very much available through, through all the marketing channels that you can see, and everyone has a, a lot of nostalgia about being able to uh, go into those stores, see the, the futuristic environment, see the people that are wearing uh, the, the outfits and the uniforms that, that are all very standardized and, and just the gleaming and, and the, the massage chairs, drones, all the fun stuff that used to be there. So that the people that I get to work with are, are very much caught up in that nostalgia. They're caught up in the idea that this is a brand that they remember from their youth. It's a brand that they remember going with their parents or with their grandparents and, and seeing that. And um, the uniqueness is has always been exactly what what people sought. Where it's where you could go to find a gift for someone that you just couldn't find anywhere else. That is something that is that uh, is only found in one place, or you didn't know even existed. And then you go you go pick up that gift and and, and buy it. And it was interesting too because Sharper Image was more than just a store. I mean, it was an experience. You walked in and you weren't. It never felt like you were shopping. You were almost. It felt like aspects of like a museum or something where that you get to like touch something that's new, exciting. You get to see, you know, all these cool inventions or the gadgets that people play. And how, how was that part of being built into the culture of Sharper Image, this more than just a retail store? Sharper Image, is, it, it, the design for it was to, to be that futuristic approach. The idea that an, a customer experience was more important than what they sold. And, and so the items themselves, they had a benefit and they were, they were valuable. And, and something that you would want to own and sort of aspirational. But at the same time, the, the experience was what trumped all of that. They, people wanted to go in and, and sit in the massage chairs and touch the gadgets and play with the toys. And, um, 
Uh, you've seen that with other brands such as FAO Schwartz, where you would walk in the stores and, and have that, ma- that massive experience that they had in New York City. There's actually an FAO Schwartz back there again now at, at Rockefeller Plaza, and, and, it, ha- and it, it has all those same types of things. And that experience now is actually what most retailers are trying to capture again. Because for, for a long time, they went away from that to just let's get a lot of mass goods out there. Everybody wanted these things. And we've come to realize consumers and people really want to have a wonderful experience when they shop. And, and that experience is, is driving and changing people to, uh, and, and mass stores to want to be able to participate in that, in that way. And it's not just the you know, disruption of kind of standardizing product, but it's also this disruption of everything's going online. I mean, you jumping online, you don't really get that same product interaction. So how have you guys been able to develop or uh, adapt to w- being a store focused on getting a product into a customer's hands for the experience now moving into this kind of online hybrid uh, shopping experience that tries to produce the same same feeling? It's a great question. The, the, the primary focus that everyone is realizing is that customers while they might be buying in different places, don't actually expect a different experience. They want that interaction. They want the ability to, as best they can, touch and feel that product through whatever channel they're looking at. If, they're, if they click on a Facebook ad and they go to a website, they want that website to have the same kind of journey that, that they experienced when they go through a store. They want to be able to feel like it was a very seamless experience. And that's very hard to do. It's very hard to capture that. And some of the challenges we see in retail today, that is that is part of what what is slowing them down is they have been unable to adapt and unable to realize that customers don't just want to have a product page that they click on and click a cart and buy. They want more than that. It and seems like that when I was doing research in, in e-commerce in the 2000s, we were really focused on kind of price comparison and price comparison sites. And that was like kind of where we thought everything was going. But it doesn't seem, it seems like brand still matters online. Is that true in, in your experience that, that that strong brand really makes a difference? And how do you keep that brand going? And so it price matters, but but it matters less. They'll pay more to buy from the right company and the right brand than, than if they feel like they're supporting somebody that they can't get behind. And to get the right online shopping experience. Absolutely. And the experience itself, again, has to has to be more than just find an item, check its price, click it and buy it. it. It's it's where they feel like they went through a journey that that was similar as much as it could possibly be to being able to being at a store and, and looking at the product itself. And a lot of your products are purchased as gifts, right? I mean, someone buying it for someone else where, where it might be more meaningful to say, I got the Sharper Image brand, you know, it, or bought this through Sharper Image because that's high quality. So if I'm giving my dad a gift or, or, or someone else, I, I think that that makes a big difference, right? It, it makes a huge difference. They, they trust it. They, they believe, okay, I'm buying this for dad. Dad's done a lot for me, and, I, and I'm going to spend $100 on something for dad, and I need it to be something he's going to really be happy to get. I'm going to go to Sharper Image because I feel like that's that they're going to represent me well in my gift-giving experience. So, yes, that is very much something. that and, and there's many other brands that support that kind of a philosophy. But when we give a gift to people, Unfortunately, it's, it's a lot about us. We're, we're, try, we're trying to make sure that that person knows that we value them and, and knows that, that, that we think they're important. And um, we represent that with what we get them. So, And that and that's ties into, I think, this, that unique experience that Sharper Image brings and it represents. It's this unique 
store that you're probably not going to really be able to find a lot of these novelties anywhere else. And I want to focus into that because that transcends into, I believe, you know, leadership and leadership styles, uh, where as, as leaders, a lot of times there are so many leaders who see someone being so successful. So they just simply try to emulate. They just want to be just like this person and emulate them. And that will bring, you know, this level of success and then almost forget the fact that they do have traits within themselves that are unique, that are their strengths, that the person they're trying to emulate can't do because that's not their strength. And yet, if people are able to tap into who they are as an individual leader, they can go way further and spend probably way less time than trying to always keep up with the Joneses or keep up with the next CEO next to them. So through through your journey, you know, how have you been able to um, find your uniqueness as a leader um, and implement that in uh, since you've become the CEO of such a unique and awesome company? Um, I, I completely agree with what you were saying there at the first part, that, that part of what we do is when we see someone being successful, we try to do what they're doing because we feel like, okay, that will help me be successful. You see that in the shopping experience. If you see a model wearing a cool outfit and if I buy that outfit, I'll look like that model, you know, it's sort of that psychology around that. And, and that for a long time, there was a management approach of let's have people look at successful leaders. Let's highlight those leaders. Let's write book around, books about those leaders and we'll find a way to, highlight what they're really good at, and then everybody can do those things and they'll be good leaders. And we've, we've moved away from that. We've come to a realization that the uniquenesses that we bring as leaders is far more important than, than the things that are the same. And I try to find ways in, in I, I have a lot of uniqueness as a leader. I have a lot of faults. I have a lot of things that I'm not good at and things that I'm not capable of. And rather than um, try to hide that, I, I actually highlight that and make sure that my team knows here's where I have problems. Here's where I will not be successful. And I will try to find people that can fill those gaps and, and find people that are, that are focused on those things. The other thing that you try to do as a, and this is more of a management principle, is focus on people's strengths. Um, the review processes and things that companies do and, and that we're forced to do in corporate environments and whatnot, they often focus on the things that people don't do well. And they say, hey, you have a, a two out of five in this. You need to bring that up to a three or you're not going to be there when really most of the conversation should be around what are you really good at? And, and let's make sure that we're capitalizing on what it is you bring to the table that only you have and things that, things that are very unique to your style, to your leadership, to your passions, to your capabilities. And let's, let's keep our energies in, around the things that are, that are very positive in nature because there's only so much progress you're going to make when you take somebody in that, that is not good at something. They're probably not happy about it. They're probably not super passionate about fixing it. And tell them, I want you to spend the next six months working on this thing that you're not very good at. You're not going to get the results you're looking for. Contrast that to somebody that is to that same person that has a great skill somewhere and a great leadership capacity in a certain unique environment and find a way to bring that into the light. Find a way to enable that and accelerate that. And they get very excited. And, and, they, and, and all of a sudden, results and outcomes become big. And whatever they weren't good at, you find that, that on the scale of good and bad, you, you're, you'd much rather have the high level of good and the sort of mediocre bad stuff that you can deal with. And you find someone else that can fill in the gaps there. And pretty soon you have a, a team that is built up of synergies that they, they cover for each other all the time in the things that might be missing from their personalities. 
And I want to make sure, like, I'm not saying, uh, make it clear that I'm not saying don't emulate anybody. Like, you know, just be solely uniquely you. Because I do think there are times where, you know, as a leader, you do have to have that starting point. Okay, there is some success here. Why is there some success? Let me see what they're doing. Let me get to the principles and drill down to that. And I want to be clear that I'm, I'm not saying, you know, don't emulate that. But don't make that your sole focus. Don't make it your sole focus. I just need to be like this person in every single way because they have the success. And if I do that, then I'm going to get the same, same success. And I think that's just a very clear delineation to, um, to make, but I want to, I want to take another step. So for, for those uh, organizational leaders or uh, aspiring leaders who uh, may be kind of stranded in this, in this uh, fog of, uh, I'm not really sure where my skills or my strengths or my traits uh, may lie. I really am trying to drill into that to find, you know, where my strength is as a leader. How, how do um, some of these leaders really start drilling into um, their selves to find who they are and where their strengths lie? Self-awareness is one of the biggest challenges to any leader, making sure that you know uh, truly what you are and aren't good at. Um, that, that integrity with your own approach to things is, is, is sometimes hard to find. Um, that being brutally honest with yourself is, is the first place you've got to start. And if you, don't, if you really don't know what you're good at and not, and you're managing a team and, and you have people or you have people around you that are willing to talk to you, ask them. Tell them what it is you're trying to accomplish. It's no different than if you want to lose weight. Tell people around you, hey, I want to lose weight. If I, if I reach for the donut, smack my hand. It'd be the same type of a thing when, when, you're, when you, the people around you, if, if they feel like you're trying to become better and you really want to understand what it is you need to do to be a great leader, they will be honest with you and they'll tell you. But you've got to be ready to accept what it is they say. You may not believe it, you may not buy it, but they're giving you their perception of your leadership and you got to listen to what they say. That's fantastic. I think about uh, retail in general and especially online, the market is changing so much and what your models were, you know, five or 10 years ago are going to be different from what they are now and what they are five to 10 years in the future. How do you build an organization that can adapt very quickly and get your leadership team to really buy into that mission? On the retail side and on the leadership side, it is the same principles. You need people that are willing to change and and that they're actually passionate about that adaptation. Um, The changes in the marketplace over the last several years have uh, the companies that are seeing success in that. Retail demand is up. It is not down. Everyone thinks, oh, retail is dying. No, retail demand is going up every year. It's the record. It was a record year in 2019 of how much stuff people bought for themselves. And leadership is the same way where you need to focus on understanding what is changing. Um, you don't really, you don't have a crystal ball about what's next. It, you, nobody really knows how it's going to do. You, you have a, you can lay out some ideas about what you think is going to happen and then, and then build a plan around that. But what you've got to be able to do is pivot and you've got to be able to change and adapt and, and look at those ideas and be passionate about that change. Be excited about the fact that what you get to go to do at, at work today is figure out what's going to be different than it was yesterday and find a way to maximize and optimize that experience, both for your, your people the people that work for you and for the journey for the customers that are, that are looking to buy from you. You want to make sure that they have uh, an experience that, that is different and unique. And I think too, it all also boils down to as a leader, you got to be able to have some vulnerability. Kind of think you've said earlier is, you know, where you're, your weaknesses are, you don't hide that as a form of I'm, I'm weak here. It's perceived as a bad thing because it's a weakness. So I'm just going to hide that quality about myself, but you become vulnerable with the rest of your team to sh- so they can see, okay, I'm a good, I have a, I'm a good intent 
you know, I have good intentions of making this company grow. You just shared your weakness with me. I trust you and respect you. So now I'm going to, you know, try to help and get your back. So as a team, we can, you know, grow together. How do you, what would you say, or how do, have you had to overcome some of these, um, not viewing vulnerability necessarily as a negative weakness, but as a uh, way for other leaders around you to rise up and, and showcase their strength? The, the first thing that happened with me was when I, this is more of an age thing, probably the older you get, the, the more you realize what you're not good at. Um, I, I came to the realization that they already knew what my weaknesses were. People know what their boss is like. They know what they're not good at. They, and my, one of my problems is impatience. I can get impatient. When I get impatient, I start honing in and driving in for a solution. And, and, it, and it, I tend to forget about people and people skills and things when that happens to me. And I tell my people, if you see me getting impatient, you got to say it. You got to tell me that, I, that if I'm impatient, just, just say the word and I'll stop. They know it. They already know it. So if I'm trying to hide that, if I'm trying to trying to feel like they're not going to be aware of it, then that's more like an an ostrich putting their head in the sand. That that is that I really they they are completely aware of my foibles and the things that I'm not good at. So own it and, and figure out how to how to either make it better. And if I can't uh, accommodate for it and, and and have others help cover for that. One thing I'm interested in a little bit of your journey about how you got here. I, I know that your undergrad was in mathematics. You, you came from a computer programming background. How do you make that transition from having those technical skills to kind of work your career through to end up in the, in, you know, breaking through into the boardroom and eventually into the CEO role? That's absolutely a challenge for, for a lot of people out there that are very capable and um, and it isn't just whether you're a programmer or a math or something like that. Any kind of technical skill or any any kind of a field where you're a subject matter expert, you can be kind of pinned down in that in that in that arena and not able to to escape the idea of that you're very good at at a at a particular craft, but you're not able to lead or, or work with people. Um, the most important way to get out of that is to understand the mission of the organization you work for. What is it they're trying to accomplish? Spend time understanding what someone like a vice president or an executive vice president at a C-level or a CEO, what, do the, what are the things they, they care about? If you work for a public company, listen to the earnings calls and see what it is they're talking about. And if you try to make an understanding of what it is that you're doing with your work. So as a computer programmer, I loved technology. I thought it was great. I enjoyed writing programs and creating and doing all the things that were involved with that. When I came to the realization that the technology wasn't what I loved. I loved what I could do with the technology and spent time trying to transition over to how do I leverage this as a resource to make this company better, to make our opportunities better, make our sales better, make our operations better. Anything, anything that technology could help with, I started the journey of being able to recognize how, how all these resources can be leveraged. And then you start seeing everything as a whole. And you start seeing all the different business units around the company and realize they all have that same problem of they're very focused in their particular arena. And if I spend time trying to understand what they're doing, why that's important, then, then I will broaden my own horizons and I will start leveraging what it is that I'm really good at as a, as a programmer, for example, to a greater good towards something that is a common mission of all of those people. And it, it's a, it's a mindset change. It's a perspective change. And if you just love, if you just love tech, if you just love math, if you just love economics, and you want to be an analyst or whatever it is you want to do, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to grow as a leader and a manager and want to have that influence in, in an organization, the first step is to try to understand how those particular traits and those skills and those those departments affect the overall organization. 
and, and even to the next level, I mean, almost being able to let go because like you said, your love of technology, I don't think you're, pr- you're probably not programming as much as you were or, you know, really day to day involved with that tech aspect. You know, as a leader now, you've kind of had to let some of that go and grow more into a team builder, a coach, uh, you know, strategist, you know, so how, how has that transition, you know, how were you able to start letting go of some of some of those um, direct work passions, but implement it within your leadership style. You never lose your roots. I, I do love technology. I love seeing it. My poor IT department has to deal with me wandering back there to see what they're up to just because I, I love what it is that, that they get to get to play with. But at the same time, I, I don't perceive it the same as I used to. I do see it as, as, a, as a resource and a tool that can help drive sharper image forward. And um, so, so, as you look at it from that perspective, it changes how, how you feel about it. it. It is really what you can do with it, not, um, not, the, not the technology itself. And it's true of all departments. And, and the higher you go, the less you focused you'll be on individual type things. And you'll, you'll take on more and more responsibilities that are spread out across a wider array of, of talent that you have in your organization. And that's really what it is. It's the people. What, what are they good at? What do they know how to do? When you think of an IT department, it's not an IT department. It's a bunch of IT people that, that are really skilled in technology. What is it you can learn from them? And what is it they can do to help make an organization's goals come, come to fruition. And, and it sounds like you're kind of using them in that regard, but that's what they want to do. They want to actually have meaning. They, they want to do something that has an impact and effect on the organization. And that gets pretty exciting when everybody gets energized about what it is they can contribute to, to the end goals of what you're trying to do. And I want to talk about the importance of choosing the influential voices around you as a leader. And you know, in part of defending and finding your uniqueness and your unique style. I mean, I'm sure you have a team of people that you've surrounded yourself with that you give influence in that they can speak into, you know, you and you know, it comes from a good place. But at the same time, I'm sure as, as you've grown as a leader, you've had people you've put in on your team who probably spoke and had, you know, didn't have the greatest of intentions in mind or were coming at it from a selfish perspective that wasn't, you know, with organization in mind. So how do you as a leader choose who and, and and becomes part of that, um, I guess, inner circle as a, as a organizational leader? That's a very interesting question. Um, I want to do a quick differentiation between management and leadership. Managers are appointed. They, that is someone in authority says, I dubbed the a manager and you're now a manager and you have, you have minions, you know, employees that work for you, whatever, whatever you want to look at that. And they, and they look at those individuals, look at that person as their boss. That, that was not something that anybody uh, it came from authority. Authority said this happened. Leaders are are about influence. You want to influence people. You want to influence situations. You want to influence outcomes, and you, you want to have an effect on those around you. And and leadership has nothing to do with management. You, you can be a great leader and not have direct reports, for example. That, that you don't. Those two things don't actually go together. And so you ask the question: How do I how do I find those people? I don't I, I don't find them. They find me. I, you'll be in meetings, you're working with a marketing team on, on their marketing campaigns for the year. And, and some unexpected corner, someone starts talking about their vision of what it is they think we ought to do. And, and they're passionate about it and they're excited about it. And they're excited about what we can do next. And, and they just start influencing the situation. That's leadership. That, that actually is what drives it. And that individual then becomes a voice that I'm listening to because they're excited about it. They want to move it forward. And that may not be the VP or, or the CMO or the COO or somebody like that that's doing it. It's coming from someone that is 
hungry, excited, and loves their work, back to that thing about being the subject matter expert. And from there, it's now up to me to spend time with them and invest in them in how they can turn what it is, that that, that passion into um, a vision and into something that they can execute on and into the skills that turns them into the, to being, being able to meet the potential that they have. I think that's such a really cool delineation because I think for a lot of leaders, you know, you, you almost put both in the same, that leadership and management or that from authority kind of coalesce into one, one thing where I put you manager. So, you know, thus saith, thus saith the CEO, (laughs) you are, you are now in charge. And yet, there are a lot of people in the organization who probably because of their influence within their team would make even a potentially a better manager. Um, so how do you really quick on that yeah. Ma- manager management gets in the way of leadership. When I ask somebody to do something, are they doing it because I asked them because I'm their boss or are they doing it because it's something that they're excited about and they're enthusiastic about? Did I inspire them to do it? Did I inspire them to do it? Well, the, the latter will have a much better outcome. The latter is going to have, um, a much higher result if they're doing it because I helped them realize something that they want to accomplish. And I use that, that leadership type of things, the influence rather than the command and control that comes from a manager position. It, it actually it can negatively affect the ability to be a great leader to actually be a manager. It seems like you must spend a lot of time then developing that talent because that's, that's not an easy task. What you've described, identifying those people who are really passionate within the organization and putting them, giving them the resources and the support they need to, to really help move your, your team forward. That's one of those uniquenesses that I really believe in. Um, the things that I think make the difference are if I can marry the needs of the company and figure out what it is we're trying to accomplish with people's passions and people's things that they're excited about. If I can find ways to, to make what they do that they, that they love to do work toward the goals of the company, put both of those in the same room, that becomes an amazing, the outcomes are far, far better. It sounds a little altruistic, oh, and good, and too good to be true, but at the end of it, it actually drives terrific potential outcomes because people are, are doing stuff they love. And if you invest in them, they feel like they matter, and, and, and everyone matters, everyone matters, what they contribute, and they just want to go to work and feel like what they did mattered and that they contributed. And if, if they have potential that's untapped, don't want to waste that potential, don't, don't want to waste what it is they bring to the table. So, my passion now, uh, now that I'm CEO, I don't have a ladder to climb anymore. That's all, it's all done. I've gone as far as I can, as far as, uh, as, as that corporate structure that somebody's outlined is what's going on. So doing that again or doing that more or seeing another financial that has a million more dollars on it on the bottom line, that, that doesn't have a lot of joy for me. Seeing the development of the people, seeing how it is they evolve and seeing how they're able to change and become, uh, grow and grow and meet their potential – that's exciting. That that's fun, and that brings me a lot of joy. So it's not it's not hard for me because I that's where I find my joy when I go to work now. Well, on that note, you're back here at Kelly because you've reached out to us and hey, I'd love to work with some of your MBAs. Can you talk about how you mentor people outside your organization and 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 why you feel that's an important way of giving back? The 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 MBA for me has been a, a huge benefit to me. Um, at first, it was just a piece of paper that that got me through those HR check boxes, you know, that that that, that keep you from from being eliminated from job considerations. And, and, and that's a worthy pursuit to be able to have that on your list. But, but over time, I've come to realize that a lot of people here at Indiana and, and throughout my life have had a, an effect on me. They've helped me be successful. They've covered for me when I've messed up. They've picked me up and, and dusted me off and sent me on my way to, to help me to recover from those types of things. And it, as you 
evolve in your career and realize that there's things you can do to help others that are also ha- struggling with that, whether it's somebody that works for you and they've, they've tripped and fallen and you need to help them out, or it's somebody from your past. I spend a lot of time talking to individuals in my past that I've worked with that, that reach out to me that have questions. Um, had somebody just recently that, that became CEO of a company, and before he did there, he wanted to know what he should be negotiating for. What do I, what do I need to ask for? And we got to spend several days together talking on the phone and going through different things to help him out. And there, there's so much joy in helping others become successful and meet their potential. And, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't pay the people back who helped me get to where I am today. And there's, there's a lot of them. They've covered for a lot of stuff through the years. Lance Reese, want to thank you so much again for being our guest. Uh, this was Lance Reese, CEO of Sharper Image here on the ROI Podcast. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside economics professor Kyle Anderson. Our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.